Hey there, welcome to the Bench Warmers. You're here with Gabe and Jamie. Hello, talking everybody. Jews talking sports. That's right. We're here on this beautiful week, uh, coming to you live on tape from Toronto. Yeah. And uh, finally starting to get nice out. It's and fabulous. French Open's around the corner. The Champions League's around the corner. Baseball's in full swing, and the playoffs in uh, hockey and basketball are getting lit. Yeah, good golf time right now. Great golf time. Uh, we played a few weeks ago, and we're playing this weekend. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully the weather will be good, and we can uh, hit some channel our inner Ben Silverman and uh, hit some birdies. That's right. Uh, in a little personal Jewish sports news, Gabe, uh, last weekend on the golf course, I hit my first uh, birdie of my career. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Did you uh, say the Shrekianu? I did not. Uh, but I did have a bit of a, like, a freak out and threw my club in the air and like... <laughs> And my hat. And my brother-in-law was watching. It was just like, that was amazing. It, it was a 35-foot, at least, putt. From, That's amazing. From off the fringe. It was like, I will never make that again. It was up a hill and around a corner. It was amazing. That's spectacular. And that, did it did it hit the center of the... Or just kind of toilet no, it hit. In? It was like going fast and hit the stick and, and dropped. That's amazing. Yeah. God bless these new golf rules. Oh, yeah. So, you know, getting a birdie on the 18th tee, that really brings you back for another round. Absolutely. That's what it's for. That's what keeps you coming back. That's right. It's like the uh, brisket on Passover. It's what keeps you doing it every year. If you say so. That's right. Uh, so we're going to play Don Valley this weekend. It should be nice. Uh, hopefully it doesn't thunderstorm on us too bad. That's right. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, but it's a big week in sports, a big big week in Jewish sports, and a big week in Canadian Jewish sports. As our uh, mothership, the Canadian Jewish News, devoted a lot of uh, the issue to something that is very important to us. Uh, and that is the issue of Jews in sports, or their issue of Jews in sports. That was talking about famous Canadian Jews in sports that are there before, there now. You, you know, people they've covered before, like Zach Hyman, or um, as we talked about with Jonathan Mayo, Sean Green's uh, experience in Toronto, as well as some uh, lesser-known ones. And I believe uh, some of the stories have a, a personal connection to each one of us. Jamie, would you like to tell us about that? Sure. So there was a profile on the CJN website that we'd encourage you to check out. Uh, always great stories, and this week in particular, a lot of stories, as Gabe mentioned, focusing on Jews and sports. But there's a story on Jerry Sternberg, uh, formerly of the Canadian Football League, a, uh, a Jew of, I believe, Montreal or Toronto. Do you think uh, the Earl Grey would be okay with Jews hoisting his cup? I don't think so, but I don't really know what his politics were. I know he. Liked I have a tea. guess. I got a guess what you his politics guess? were. Yeah. yeah, not a not a friend of Weitzman. Weitzman. <laughs> Anyways, uh, profile on Jerry Sternberg, who played in the CFL uh, about 50, 40, 50 years ago, and actually won a Grey Cup, and is now practicing as a lawyer in Toronto. And last year, I had a file with Mr. Sternberg. Uh, he's multidisciplinary practice, but this is a personal injury file. As you know, I'm an insurance defense lawyer. Was it, is, is he a partner? Is this firm called Sternberg? I believe he's a sole practitioner. Okay. Um, I remember it was just Jerry Sternberg law. Uh, but he's a, you know, nice older gentleman. I met him one day. We had an examination for discovery, negotiated settlement and settled that file. So that was good. <laughs> uh, I, you know, had a pleasant relationship with him on that time. Didn't know about his CFL exploits at that time, but, but I wish I could have asked him about it. Did explain all of the legal football metaphors he repeatedly used during the proceedings. Uh, I don't remember him using any of those. I do remember him telling me to hurry up during my discovery at one point because he wanted it to be over. There you go. Is so, uh, If a normal trial uh, has four witnesses, does Jerry Sternberg only call three? Is that because are you making a 4-3 reference? Yeah, four downs in America, three downs oh, in, uh, okay. in yeah, Canada. Yeah, that's good. 
Well, I, I'm sure his uh, legal briefs are slightly larger and longer. That's right. He uses paper that is 105 yards wide or, or 110 yards wide and 55 yards wide or, or whichever. Yeah, we're really belaboring this metaphor. But great piece on him and how he went to law school uh, in between a successful CFL career and transitioned to being a lawyer and, and having a successful career at that. So, Did he wear his gray cup ring? I don't remember, but you know, I didn't know that he was a football player at the time. I, I would have been interested to know if he if he has a great cup ring or if they did that at the time and if he still has it and if he wears it. If you want a ring in a professional sports event, not very many people do, but you know, how often would you wear it? I feel like it's a real like Bush League move to wear the ring all the time because on the one hand, it's like incredibly garish these days. Like, you know, you've seen pictures recently of like World Series rings or uh, Super Bowl Mm -hmm. rings. And it's like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of diamonds. And it looks ridiculous. Once upon a time, they were more simple. And like, I'm not going to say like elegant or dignified (laughs) because it was still a ring celebrating a sports championship. And like, yeah, it was a little ridiculous. But it was more like the kind of piece of jewelry that you could wear every day. Now it's like you see these Super Bowl rings and it's like, it's like it would be hard to make a fist. It would be hard to like have it on your finger and have it next to your other fingers that like separating your hands or something like that. So I think now it's like it's a pretty bush league move to but wear it I all the time. I think that's the point. I think I would wear mine every single time I had to wear a suit. Okay, Wedding, I think that's a good rule. Bar mitzvah, big presentation. It depends. It depends how much notoriety you want because I think, first of all, everyone's going to see it, especially one of these modern rings, like anything from the last 20 years. Yeah. You're going to see it and say, oh, you are this person. Like, I think you wear it if you want people to know that you are the guy who was, you know, the backup linebacker on the Patriots in one of their Super Bowls. Even if you're a guy selling beer at the stadium, oftentimes you get a ring. No. Oh, really? absolutely. I thought it was like trainers, like that kind of stuff. It's everybody. I, 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 if I remember correctly, when the Boston Red Sox won their championship in 2006, they made something like 1,100 rings and gave them to every person who was remotely involved in the 2004? team. 2004? 2004, that's right. Interns, beer salesmen. Everybody. All right. I mean, maybe they weren't quite as uh, decked out as those real ones they gave to the players, but uh, maybe they, maybe they were, you know, cubic zirconium or something like that. That's right. Like you could give someone a ring that'd be worth more than what they make in a year. Yeah. Some of those guys. And maybe they do. Or maybe they're just replicas. That's yeah. true. And the real rings go to the real players. Remember there's that story a couple years ago of Kraft giving his ring to Putin accidentally? Yeah. And it was like <laughs> Putin just said like, this is mine now. Like, I think Kraft intended it as, like, a loan or, like, you oh, can like, look at you, this. Yeah, look at this and, you know, puts it in his pocket and Kraft says, give it back. And Putin says, what are you talking about? Give He's like, yeah, back. it's in the Hermitage. Like, <laughs> you know, it's gone. I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't realize you wanted it back. And then I think Kraft had to, like, walk it back and be like, oh, no, I did mean to give it to him. Wow. Like, you know, something like that. It was, uh, well, there's our Jewish sports connection there. Yeah, it's something it he and uh, Trump have in common. What? Giving, giving things to Putin? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's, again, there's our Jewish connection. Robert no collusion. Kraft. No, that's right. Uh, Robert Kraft, our um, sort of favorite pervert. I only say that because we've discussed him on the podcast before. But maybe our most talked about. Pervert. Our most talked I don't, about, I don't know about pervert. He's uh, he seems to have gotten off uh, for failure of a better term. Uh, he seems to have had the charges against him withdrawn. It, it seems, and they're not really. Uh, I think withdrawn or they pled down or something. There was some, I didn't follow it as closely as I should have, but there was some issue with the search warrant. Uh-huh. Uh, Rosa DeMana wrote, wrote like a incredibly backwards column in the Toronto star about like him going to like rumpy pumpy rooms and stuff like that. It was so, <laughs> first of all, like it was so out of touch with like 
the way we generally think about sex work these days. And just like it was out of touch with like the way people use words these days. Like, right. You know, I've enjoyed Rosie DeMano's columns. She's, you know, been a great sports writer for many years. But like when she goes into the into the general culture stuff, sometimes she's just so, so out of touch. It's unbelievable. I think the law in Canada defines it as a body house. Like, and I don't mean body as in B-O-D-Y. I mean body as in B-A-W-D-Y. Yeah, it might. I mean, there are um, massage parlors that are licensed in Toronto. And there's people There's full body it. massage parlors that are licensed in Anyways, I think we're getting off topic. The point is, uh, Robert Kraft is, seems to be, he's not having the tape released, which is probably his biggest concern, regardless of whether or not he gets charged or, or uh, convicted of anything, a, a misdemeanor or something like that. It's not really going to affect him so much. But uh, I'm sure he just wants the notoriety gone. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next few years his children sort of subtly encourage him to take more of a step back as he gets older <laughs> and a little less predictable. Um, so that's a Jewish sports owner, owner that we can continue to watch and yeah. see how it goes with him. Well, uh, speaking of uh, not necessarily Jewish sports owners, uh, a classic of the soccer genre happened in Europe last week between two teams that our previous guest Dave Goss uh, had on the podcast. That's right. It was the second leg of the match between Tottenham, Hotspur, and Ajax. I'm now told it's pronounced, and I believe that's correct. For uh, our listeners from outside of the greater Toronto area, there's a uh, suburb of Toronto called Ajax, spelled the same way as the Dutch soccer team and, uh, I assume, city. And now every time I pass it on the road, I think it's pronounced Ajax. And I'm really worried that it's going to slip out sometime. And I'm going to ask somebody if we're in Ajax yet. Like, are we past Pickering? <laughs> Is that, are we in Ajax? And they're going to look at me like I, I'm from another planet. Maybe that's just the Jewish way of pronouncing it from now on. I don't think so. I think it's the Dutch way of pronouncing it. Probably. So uh, it was a really dramatic time between our two uh, ostensibly, purportedly, purportedly Jewish uh, teams just as a reminder of what our guest said, Ajax in Amsterdam, they're very proud for having allegedly hid Jews during the Holocaust, whereas Tottenham had a lot of Jews living in Tottenham or living in North London, where Tottenham is based from the early 20th century out through today. Um, the and game, continues to have a, a Jewish culture in it, uh, whether or not it has so many Jewish fans still. Absolutely. Um, so it was a two-leg match, and right. the first, Ajax won the first match. They first won it one nothing by a goal uh, by somebody named Van de Beek. I assume that's a last name, not Van de Beek. Yeah, I assume it's a last name. It sounds very Dutch. It sounds very Dutch, yeah. exactly. Uh, and then the second game, uh, an all-time classic, and five minutes in, uh, De Ligt scored, sure. putting Ajax up 2 nothing in the combined game. And then in the 35th minute, Ziech, who I don't think is Jewish, but his name could be. Uh, it's probably pronounced Ziech. We're not doing the best with the Dutch pronunciation here. I no, think. I don't think so either. Yeah. Um, scored and put Ajax up 3 nothing On the aggregate. On the aggregate, on the combined score. And then a great miracle happened there in Amsterdam. Sure. I don't think that's where the game was being played. It was. Was it? Yes, at okay. the Amsterdam Arena. Uh, a great miracle happened there. We're in the 55th minute. Lucas Moura scored, making it 3-1. to one. And, and then at 59 minutes, he scored again. And then in extra time, at the 96th minute, Lucas Moura had a hat trick, scoring his third goal and tying the aggregate 3-3 uh, for our non-soccer fan listeners. And I, I count myself among them some, sometimes. Uh, I believe away goals are the first tiebreaker. That is correct. So because Tottenham scored three goals in Amsterdam and Ajax only scored one goal in London, they won 3-2. to two. Um, 
I think the appropriate Jewish metaphor would be uh, the Maccabees only had enough oil to last one day, but it lasted eight, whereas there was only enough injury time to last for five minutes, but Tottenham had it last for six, wherein Lucas Moura scored the goal. Sure, I don't think this is exactly, uh, you know, rebelling against the uh, Assyrianized (laughs) Greeks that uh, happened in the Hanukkah story, but still a a little miracle that happened over there. That's right. Tottenham Uh, uh, faces Liverpool, I think. Liverpool on June 1st. And it's a one-game match? It's a one-game match. It's a single winner-take-all final. And we hope the Yids can take it um, sort of out of loyalty to the arbitrary name. And it's somewhere weird, right? It's in Greece, I think? I think so. It's always at a neutral location. Right, because it's planned as the Champions League final before they know who is actually playing it. So despite the fact that it's two British football teams that are, what, I don't know, 250 miles apart? How far is Liverpool? Not not so far uh, from North London. That despite that, they're traveling all the way to Greece and I assume bringing some rowdy fans with them. That's right. Bringing some yids with them. Yeah, I guess so. So go Tottenham. Go Hotspur. Uh, we'll have to learn some Tottenham cheers, I guess. That's right. Winning the Champions League is... Is it the biggest deal? Is it bigger than winning the Premiership? Or is winning the Premiership? I think it is. No, I think winning the Champions League is the biggest deal. Do um, they? Uh, does Tottenham have a shot at winning the Premiership this I think, year? Uh, no. The Premiership is settled. Manchester oh, City won. Okay. Uh, back to more domestic matters. Uh Canadian News also published some articles highlighting some great Canadian Jewish athletes yep. and uh, specifically some Canadian Jewish hockey players. Uh, some of them who we've already discussed on the podcast and, and you know, we encourage you to check out those articles. Uh, we thought we'd take an opportunity here to focus on some up and coming guys. Uh, this is right. the spring and summer and, and this is draft season. We had the NBA draft uh, lottery last week. We had the NFL draft just a few weeks ago. So uh, here's our prospect watch for the right. last week of May for draft season. Yeah, basketball and uh, baseball drafts are coming up soon. The hockey draft is in July. So also coming up soon. Uh, so let's take it back to the, the, the first draft that happened recently. Gabe, there was, to my knowledge, and I did some digging on all the players who were drafted, there was at least one a uh, Jewish player drafted in the NFL draft. Now, huh. there was there was one big Mike Jacobs all-star, of oh, course, yeah. a non-Jew with a Jewish sounding name, and that would be the the similarly named Josh Jacobs running back from Alabama wow. drafted in the first Josh round. Josh Jacobs from Alabama. Yeah, okay. He's not Jewish as far as we know, but definitely a Mike Jacobs all-star. Yep, absolutely. A, t- a Tariq Cohen all-star. That's uh, right. Of a certain kind. Uh, but John Kaminsky drafted in the fourth round by the Atlanta Falcons. He's defensive end. Uh to my understanding, is Jewish. Is uh, he a new beefy boy chick if he's a defensive end? Yeah, he's a big guy. Um, came out of College of Charleston, I believe. A lot of Jews in Charleston. Oldest synagogue in America. And I don't really know what his affiliation with Judaism is, but I did find an Instagram post of him attending a Passover Seder, so that's something. <laughs> his last name is Kaminsky, spelled C-O-M-I-N-S-K-Y. Ooh. And obviously there's a Kaminsky in the NBA, Frank Kaminsky, who is not Jewish. So I know there are non-Jewish Kaminskys. I'm not sure what exactly the origin of it is. I assume people from a town called Cayman or something approximate to that. Yep. But John Kaminsky, we'll wish him well and we'll keep an eye on him. Um, while we're on the NFL topic, we haven't actually talked about uh, the other uh, most popular, I would say, Jewish NFL player at the time or the most the most important Jewish NFL player at the time at the that's moment right. who's, who's recently been in the news. And that's Josh Rosen. Uh, that's right. Uh, the chosen Rosen himself has been created to the, he went a little early. Most people go there in their 60s, but Josh <laughs> Rosen has gone to Miami in his early 20s. Well, he was already in Arizona, which is a good snowbird destination. That's true. So going to Miami, I feel like that's just, you had enough of the dry heat and you want the wet heat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, traded to Miami sort of unceremoniously. He yeah. was drafted in the first round by Arizona last year, but then this year with the number one pick, they picked uh, Tyler Murray, Kyler Murray. Um, Not a Jew. 
not a Jew, as far as we know, but also a baseball player, but decided to play football and they shipped Rosen away. So best wishes to him. I think he's got a great shot in Miami. Yep. I think he's going to start. He's going to play a lot. I think it's, it's nice that he's in an area that has a you know huge Jewish community. It has Absolutely. a huge Jewish community as well that's there in the fall and winter. Yep. Uh, you know, lots of lots of Jews in Toronto and, and other parts of the Northeast head down to Miami for the year mm-hmm. or for the winter. And uh, and they'll cho- cheer on the chosen Rosen. Yeah, I think he's got a great shot to be a huge fan favorite. You know, it didn't work out in Arizona, and I don't think that's his fault necessarily, given the team they had there. Yeah. Uh, so I think he's got a great shot in in, in Miami and, and wishing well. He should start. Um, you know, we've talked about in the past. He's he's had some he's had some uh, people question his commitment to football because he's interested in other things and he's uh, smart enough to you know know what's going on outside of the football world but honestly the idea that that has any effect on his ability to be a, a standout quarterback is, is ridiculous absolutely he we talked about earlier he's a, a man who faces a lot of uh thinly veiled anti-semitism he has talked about for being he was criticized for being too smart for being too outspoken for being too uh, involved um which kind of goes against, as we talked about earlier with Jonathan Mayo and amongst ourselves, the shut up and play idea that is especially prevalent in football and not particularly known in the Jewish community. We like to talk and we like to think, and he was sort of criticized for that, but he's been nothing but classy and nothing but forward uh, throughout his time in Phoenix. Yeah, and good luck to him in Miami, hopefully a more welcoming environment and uh, you know, hopefully one with less dog whistle anti-Semitism. That's right. Uh, moving on to hockey, Gabe. There's a few Jewish prospects coming into the NHL soon or oh, yeah. into the draft soon. Uh, that's right, uh, including a surprising one. Perhaps what, what is the opposite of a Mike Jacobs all-star, do you think? Well, Somebody I think, who's... I think this person might get the name. It, you know what? It might be a Kevin Euclid all-star because Greek last name, uh, Greek Jewish background. I don't know that anyone knew Kevin Euclid is Jewish inherent. Like, Until he just came out and said it? Like, I don't think anyone intuited that he was Jewish the way you might have with a... Uh, Ryan Braun, for example. Right. Or, so, yes. So, a real uh, Kevin Euclid all star. We were happy to, uh, I don't know about announce, but we're happy to report that uh, presumptive number one overall pick in the upcoming NHL draft, Jack Hughes, is Jewish. I've never heard of a more Irish sounding name. It's great. Uh, mom's Jewish. Uh, yep. His older brother, Quinn, is also a uh, hockey player. He was drafted in the first round by. Somebody last year, you can fill me in. I, you know, I to our listeners out there, I don't follow hockey that closely, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I have a passing understanding of it, and I've become a Vegas Golden Knights fan. And it's difficult to watch all their games because they play on the West Coast. He was uh, but, drafted uh, by Vancouver seventh overall last year. All right, so Quinn Hughes should probably. I think he played a few games this year. Should have a shot in the future. That's right. Uh, with with the Nucks. Uh, and what's notable about our podcast is Jack Hughes, even though he is nominally an American, the child of a woman named Ellen Weinberg, or Ellen Weinberg Hughes, who was a former uh, world champion hockey player herself. Wow, second, second generation. That's right. Uh, he was raised in Toronto, wow. as uh, even though he is, like we said, born in the States, but raised in Toronto. So he, Canadian Jewish News has a lot of interest in the success of this young man. Future Canadian Jewish News profilee, Jack Hughes. <laughs> And also Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes. And, and potentially uh, future guests on this podcast. Well, Let's two, hope so. two mensches can dream. Yeah. Uh, also, another big hockey prospect, Gabe, coming out of Europe. Uh, you were telling me about before. Andre Burakovsky. He's been in the NHL for about four or five years, including won a Stanley Cup. But All right. We've, fine. We, prospect. Whatever. I don't know. He's a 25, and we've recently learned that he is Jewish. Wow. That's uh, great. From Sweden. Uh, his parents were Russian Jews. 
and uh, they were uh, they raised him in Sweden, played in the NHL, his father did, for the Ottawa Senators, and now, after being raised in Malmo, I believe, is living in Washington um, and presumably attending some congressional temple. Did you watch? Uh, did you watch this last season of Broad City? I did not. So there's an episode where Ilana um, does like one of those 23 and Me tests and like finds her finds some ancestors out there, and uh, one of them is uh, like her 16th cousin who's a Holocaust survivor, pr- played by Jerry Adler, aka uh, Hesh Rabkin from yeah, The Sopranos. That's right. He's very old now. I think he's in his 90s. He still uh-huh. looks very good, but he was he was great. He was hilarious. And uh, he's sort of like a rascally older guy, and they sneak him out of his retirement home, <laughs> and they lose him in New York. And it turns out that, uh, and this is actually a very touching part of the show, is that uh, whenever he escapes from the retirement home, he goes to Ikea, because it reminds him of uh, Sweden and, and the Swedes who, who uh, sheltered him during the holidays. The Raoul Wallenbergs and yeah. such. It's, it's actually a very, very touching very moment. touching. It's very nice. Uh, so well, there's a long yeah. history of Swedish Judaism, for which Andre Burakovsky is a nice part of. Yeah, not a lot of Jewish Andres, but always glad to have him. Absolutely. Would you call him a uh, Jack Hughes all-star or a Kevin Euclid all-star? I feel like Burakovsky sounds more Jewish. And also, like, yeah. as much as we... It is Burakovsky with a Y as yeah. well. As much as we're familiar with, like, Jewish naming culture and naming rituals, uh, or, you know, just the, the kinds of last names that Jews tend to have in this part of the world, I feel like that also exists in other parts of the world where it's like, I don't think of certain things as being a Jewish last name, but if you're in Russia, it's like, of course that's Jewish. Right. Like, no Russian would possibly have that name. And same with like lots of Sephardi names where it's mm-hmm. like, of course, everybody from that with that name for the last 600 years has been known as a Jew. And like, the, it, it, it would be like someone named Goldberg. Right. Um, uh, is in from the Ashkenazi community. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, I think of the two Mexican Jews relative to uh, relevant to our lives. Um, Rowdy Telez being a notable one. Yeah, um, I don't know. Both his parents are Jewish. His father named Telez from Mexico. His mother yeah. named Bernick from California. And uh, let's not forget about... Uh, Lead singer of Rage Against the Machine, Zach Della Roca, also Jewish? Jewish, also from Mexico. Absolutely, oh, no idea. Anyway, so who knows if their names are as uh, Jewish as uh, your your Silvers and Goldsteins? I think we're going to assume they are. Yeah. Well, here's a kid with a, a quite quite the uh, Jewish name on both sides. A uh, uh, Major League Baseball draft prospect, Josh Wolf, uh, probably going to get drafted in the first or second round, and as is the nature in the baseball draft, we might not see some of these guys for a couple of years, or for, or if or at all, depending on how they progress in the minors. But we wish him well, and we'll keep a focus on him in the future and uh, see how he gets drafted this summer. Uh, MLB draft, I believe, is the end of June or beginning the end of June. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll see how he gets drafted and update you on that. Um, in terms of other young guys uh, to keep a focus on, Gabe, in the news, the French Open's starting this Sunday, I believe. That's right. Um, uh, Denis Shapovalov, our favorite Toronto Jewish player, as well as an Argentinian. Diego Schwartzman. Yeah, Schwartzman's the number 18 seed. Uh, yep. Chapo is the number 21 seed. Do you think if Diego Schwartzman was na- was from, say, New York, his name would be John Schwartz? Jack uh, Schwartz? No, Diego is actually James. James. James yeah. Schwartz. Jamie yeah. Schwartz. Yeah. He is uh, Jamie Schwartz. Jamie Schwartzman is, is sounds a little more Jewish. But again, you know, Diego is uh, not so necessarily not Jewish. Well, we wish the both of them luck, and maybe on our next episode we'll be talking about the fourth-round matchup of the Jewish Bowl uh, after Schwartzman and uh, Shapovalov meet each other. But that's our prospect watch for today. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back with uh, some our Jewish main story news. of the day. Some, yeah, some Jewish food news. Let's uh, say the uh, B 
Birkat Hamazon and get on with it. You know, every time you try and do something religious, I feel like you're searching for it, like in the back of your head. Very, it's, it's very so, deeply. It's so vaguely like uh, relevant to your life. So, well, like, I'm I'm trying quite hard not to rely on the Yiddish crutch. Yeah, uh, we've had some feedback uh, that we might be getting a little too bagely in some parts of this podcast. Yeah, some of us. <laughs> but uh, uh, maybe a little too uh, uh, flary. But we're gonna wanna. Uh, we're trying to keep the Yiddish going. We know people love it. I, at least we we know of one listener who's written to us about learning Yiddish through this show. Wow! So uh, let's keep it going. I want to tell everybody that upcoming this Sunday, May twenty sixth, we are having a launch party for the CJN Podcast Network. Both us and the Canadian Jewish Schmooze, featuring our producer Alex Rose and our executive producer Michael Freeman, and we're having a Lug Omer style uh, bonfire. At- That's right. Christy Pitts. It is will be the 36th counted day of the Omer. So we're going to have a bonfire if uh, Michael can figure out how to organize that and get the wood and all that. Um, <laughs> it's at Christy Pitts at the fire pits that are sort of on the west side of the park. And any uh, listener is welcome. And even non-listeners, if you can find out about it. Uh, there'll be snacks and, uh, you know, probably that's it. A fire. Yeah. Um, we'll have things to do and, and people to talk to. And we'd love to see you out there. It starts at 5 p.m. again, Sunday, May 26th. There's a Facebook event and an event page on the Canadian Jewish News website. So I got a question for you, Jamie. Go for it. What would you say the percentage of NFL stadiums, you think, out of 32, how many of them do you think you can get kosher food at? Well, first of all, I believe there's 31 NFL stadiums because two of the teams play at, at Giant Stadium. Sure. 31 yeah. teams. Stadiums. Sorry, 32 teams. 31 stadiums. 31 stadiums. Yeah. How many of them do you believe serve kosher food? So I would guess, based on population distribution and cities that have reasonable-sized Jewish communities uh, in NFL cities, I would guess, say, 15 of 31. How's that? You're a little high. And it's a 32. I'm, I'm going by teams. Fine. 32. There are eight teams that serve kosher food at their okay. stadiums. Can I guess which ones they are? Yeah, let's see if you can guess. It's okay, just NFL. Well, so eight teams. Yeah. So I'm going to say the Jets and the Giants are That's one. That's your for first sure. two. Okay, first two. Um, the Dolphins. The Dolphins are another one. Josh Rosen. Okay. The Rams. Uh, no. Huh. There is no kosher food in a Los Angeles stadium. Wow. Okay. Well, then I think probably some of the other East Coast ones. Uh, Philly. Philly is correct. Uh, Detroit. Detroit is correct. Uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a no-no. Mm. Chicago. Chicago, yes. Got two more, same city, different teams. There's your hint. Two more, same city, different teams. What's the other? Five, four, NFL, three. Two, oh, I don't know. Who is one. it? Ah, Baltimore and Washington. That's not the same city. Oh, it's close enough. All right, whatever. I'm surprised Kansas City's not up there. St. Louis. So Kansas uh, St. City Louis doesn't have a team anymore. Sorry. They don't have a team. That's right. Atlanta, um, I would think that new big stadium has so much of everything. You'd think it would have it would have some kosher food. However, uh, both Kansas City and uh, St. Louis, their baseball teams serve kosher food. Oh, that's nice. What's really interesting, and I think probably a sign of some sort of hidden anti-Semitism, is that there are a number of arenas, Staples Center in Los Angeles in particular, sure. that only serve kosher food in the luxury boxes, yet there is no kosher stand in which to buy food in the general concourse. Well, you know, you got to play to your audience. I don't know if that's hidden anti-Semitism. I think that's just responding to uh, customer taste. And I think some of those but places... But is it, or is it just an assumption they make? 
Well, maybe they feel like they need to cater to the luxury level people at a higher level. I mean, some of those places you can only get like, you know, a prime rib or like a carved roast beef sandwich in the luxury boxes too. That's not like a, It's true. You know, that's just based on who actually demands that sort of thing. So what's really interesting I found about while researching this is that there are a number of stadiums, about a third in each league mm-hmm. that somewhere between a quarter and a third in each league that are certified kosher. Yeah. It's published the name of the rabbi. You can get it. The name of the organization where to get it. However, what there aren't very many of, there are a lot of other places that are uncertified okay. to get kosher. So, I don't know, that's uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, for example. They serve kosher hot dogs. Sure. They're totally available. The Los Angeles Angels across town serve available Hebrew National kosher beef okay. hot dogs, so they have a, they but have they a, are not certified by right. any authoritative board. So they have a Hebrew National hot dog that they'll put on the grill for your, or more likely microwave or something like that. But that's it, right. No, no one's actually... Uh, overseeing their food services and, and making sure it's kosher. That's right. There's no mishkiach involved to uh, take part in this. Do they, they still have, uh, in the Toronto Stadium, they still have Old Spadina Road? Is that Old the, Spadina Road, that's right. The concession? Uh, ye Old Spadina, Old Spadina. There, you, there is now an Old Spadina in the cheap seats. There oh, used yeah. to be none available. And a scheme that many enterprising young Jews would run in order to get down to the lower level is you just say to the security guard waiting, oh, I'm upstairs, but I'm going to grab a kosher hot dog. I keep kosher, got to get a hot dog. And then they'll let you into the expensive seats sure. in the lower concourse that your ticket doesn't get you into. Uh, and you're able to go get this. One place you can't pull this scheme off, Yankee Stadium. They've got a kosher food stand on every single level of the stadium. Well, they know their audience. As does City Field. Uh, a number of stadiums also on their website uh, will let you bring in kosher food. Right. Chicago Cubs, for example. Okay. Let you bring in kosher food. Even though in the National League, you're typically not allowed to bring in outside food. That's right. So, Although in the American League, you are. So anyone in an American League city, if you don't know this trick, and I, I say it explicitly for the Blue Jays, where they're as lax as they possibly could be, bring in outside food. It's we've so been better. to a Yankees game. We brought You can bring in a sealed bottle of Coke and drink it at your seat. At, at, a, at Yankee Stadium. At Yankee Stadium. That's right. Yeah. Um, we went to Yankees games and we had quite the food adventure in New York the weekend that we were on vacation, that we were on a trip there. And uh, I, I don't remember bringing anything into Yankees game. I do remember spending a while trying to find the one, one of the few for our listeners out there who don't know, I'm a vegetarian. So kush fruit is not my major, major concern, but I was able to find the one place in uh, Yankee Stadium that serves like an eggplant Parmesan sandwich. <laughs> and it was pretty good. It was like, it was like $10. It was definitely overpriced right. and it was small. It was like sort of like on a hammer. And bun. presumably that's kosher, but not necessarily certified. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of kosher Jews have always sort of relied or these days rely on vegetarianism as like a, right. way, a way to make sure that what they're eating is, is kosher style at the yep. very least. And, you know, they're willing to break a rule or two uh, or bend a rule if they're going to a baseball game. Well, what's really interesting is uh, if you want to talk about rule bending, the Boston Red Sox have actually eliminated the need for rule bending in that they have certified kosher food. They have mozzarella sticks. They have hot dogs. They have kosher pizza. Sure. But without the need of certified kosher food handlers, they have two vending machines that are blessed by the local Mashiach. A dairy vending machine from which you can buy mozzarella sure. sticks and a meat vending machine from which you can buy your kosher Fenway Franks. That's very smart. I mean, you know, eliminate the need, but make it available to people. I, you know, all these things are, let's be honest, a way for the baseball teams or football teams, whatever team to make some money. I mean, you know. but by catering to their fans, of course, but 
concessions are a huge way that they that teams make money. Absolutely, uh, I've always felt like a you know a smart, thrifty uh, Jays fan <laughs> when I show up to a game with a six dollar ticket and bring in a pizza I bought on the outside world and. I don't know that they're making a lot of money off me. And I get a free Coke from the uh, signing up to be a designated driver. That's right. And uh, just live off that. So, you know, these these teams rely on concessions, to be honest. I mean, uh, there's a reason why things are overpriced. It's a big part of what they get people in the door for. Mm -hmm. And it's a big part of what the stadium takes home as well. Well, uh, a number of kosher, a number of places, Staples Center being one of them, for example, in Los Angeles, which, as we said earlier, only has food, kosher food in the luxury uh, areas. As well, uh, uh, Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City is another one of those. They don't have necessarily kosher food inside, but them, as to the Staples Center, has strictly kosher food trucks okay. that stand outside the stadium and let people buy food, and then they can bring it into the stadium. Oh, so, this sounds like a Calvin Trillin article waiting to be written. It absolutely does. Uh, looking to, for the best food truck food in Best in kosher baseball. food in, best, in Kansas City, his, uh, his hometown. Yeah, I think uh, I think I read that book when I was in uh, Bar Mitzvah school. The <laughs> That's best what kosher, feeding a yen is about. Exactly, the best kosher food in Kansas City. City. It, the, it, it goes with the the chosen and Yentl and all those books. This is very like niche area Calvin Trillin humor, uh, but I feel like there's a good overlap between the people who listen to this podcast and people who read the New Yorker and care about <laughs> the New Yorker's food writing. Uh, and I'm speaking specifically about members of both of our families here, so uh, I hope they appreciate our, our Calvin Trillin based humor. That's right. We like to think of ourselves as the fourth part of the Tummy Trilogy. Again, <laughs> deep cut jokes. If you don't understand these, uh, don't feel like you've done anything wrong. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, there is, interestingly, in Kansas City, an all-kosher barbecue truck. Kansas wow. City is famous for its barbecue. And at the ballpark, you can get the all-kosher barbecue truck outside in the parking lot, bring it into the stadium. Well, that makes sense. I mean, Kansas City barbecue is known for its uh, brisket. As a vegetarian, it's amazing that I know this, but on a friend's bachelor party, we went to a Kansas City barbecue uh, b- uh, barbecue contest. Where? In Chicago. In Chicago. Wow. And uh, I ate like a lot of cornbread and not much else. I think some coleslaw. <laughs> they seem to enjoy it. Anyways, but Kansas City barbecue is brisket, so it yep. makes sense it could be kosher. That, Unlike, they uh, have a lot of kosher. There's other barbecues, more pork-based often. That's right. And often the sauces usually have some meat in them and, and they'll have a lot of the fat drippings of pig or beef. But this is a kosher barbecue food truck. That's nice. Which is it's very impressive. So ultimately, the sta- the league with most, the highest penetration of uh, kosherness is baseball. It's got 15 stadiums. Actually, 14 and a half. The Atlanta Braves only serve kosher food on Jewish Heritage Night, wow. which we talked about earlier. And they do four of them a year where kosher food is available. Um as far as I can tell, they're not on Friday nights, which would be sort of the Mike Jacobs t-shirt moment right. of kosher food. Uh, but uh, you can get kosher food four nights a year. The Chicago Cubs used to have four nights a year. They've now opened, <coughs> bless you, a, kosher, a, a certified kosher hot dog stand. Um, interestingly, there are a couple of cities that have uh, kosher food at, in each one of their sports. Toronto is one of them. We've got old Spadina. I believe that's Larry Tannenbaum's influence right there. That's right. We've got Tannenbaum old... and Godfrey made that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the owner and former president of our teams. We've got old Spadina at the Sky Domes and the Bay Street Deli. Oh, Bay Street Deli. At uh, Leafs and Raptors games. As well, uh, everywhere in New York has multiple kosher sure. stands. Makes sense. Said not all of LA, as we learned earlier. Stan right. Kranicki, not Jewish. Right. Um, but is there ev- kosher food at Barclays? There must be. There is. There's kosher food in New York I don't think there being and a lot of Madison Jewish, Square Garden. I don't think if there being a lot of Jewish Nets fans, but there must be some. Interestingly, in the I noticed this when I was there in the team store at Barclays Center for the New York Nets. Uh, 
or the New Jersey Nets. It's not 1975. The Brooklyn uh, Nets. The Brooklyn Nets, as they are now. That's right. You have all of Brooklyn. So they, they kind of have these photos, these black and white photos, all over the store, kind of in a proscenium around the top of it with people who are in Brooklyn. They've got young black guys with low hats. They've got old Asian women smiling, wearing Nets jerseys. And they've got like a lot of Hasids. Nice. P- Black and white photos of Hasidic people, and you know your Woody Allen nebishy types. Sure. Uh, what Grammy Hall would call a real Jew sure. wearing a Brooklyn Nets hat. To finish our story, we've got baseball at 15 stadiums or 14 sure. and a half. Uh, the NBA and the NHL, most of which share stadiums, have 11. Sure. And uh, football bringing up the rear with only eight kosher options. Well, not not the best options for everyone, but uh, there's always choices there, and hopefully you can you can at least finagle your way into bringing some outside kosher food if you need it. That's right. Good Yiddish. What's you could snore y- your way into a hot dog somewhere. What's the ranking of uh, Jewish-type foods that you think are, are good stadium foods? I mean, I Ooh. think a kosher hot dog I think a kosher hot dog is probably number one. Yeah. Cheese pizza, also available uh, a lot you know, of stadiums. I know pizza is very popular at stadiums, I, I feel like, because they can just pump it out and kids like it, but I don't yeah. really feel like it's such a stadium food. So the vast majority of kosher food is these kosher hot dogs, especially right. the unsupervised you know, kind of unsanctioned ones, but at least at uh, Old Spadina in Toronto, you can get a knish. Right. You can get a, a, a kreplach. Sure. Uh, and lutkas. They serve lutkas at a lot of these lutkas and sour cream to dunk in. Right. Here's They're easy take. to make, easy to fry. Here's a take. You know what should be pop- more popular uh, game day fare? Middle Eastern food. Make a wrap. Make a pita. Yeah. Make a falafel. Make a shawarma. People would love that. Like, it's very hot dog-like in terms of a shape. That's true. Which I think makes it easy to carry and eat, like, at your seat. Like, anything... I think you want something where you don't need a plate. Do you think you and I could tailgate somewhere with a big lava oven? Where <laughs> one of us is, like, slapping dough on the table and kind of oh throwing it onto those, the... Let's see how those slaps turn up on the uh, podcast. And, and sort of pass it through the oven and then get it out on the other side with shawarma just sort of screaming at one another. I, I would hope that there is, like, a community of, uh, of Arab Americans Americans in Dearborn, Michigan, who like tailgate Michigan or Michigan State games and have a, have a big uh, laugh oven or, or so, some other middle, uh, pita, pita oven. The Detroit Lions have both kosher and halal food. That makes sense. Most Huge of the Muslim same. community yep. outside, of, um, outside of, uh, Detroit. At their, at their ball, at their football park, yeah. um, as well Fort as the Tigers Hill. have at, at Comerica sure. nearby. Um, but I think laffa and shawarma is a very good idea. Falafel. Do you think you just get falafel on a bed of fries? Just like uh, three guess, balls, but again, right there. I really, I, I think the hot dogs iconic status is it is the rare food that you can just stand up and eat, like without having to think about it. You don't, That's you don't right. need a plate. No one needs a hot dog with a fork and knife, except for maybe Danny Tar- Tar- Tartable. Yes, so, but uh, you you find it's interesting. Vienna beef hot dogs, famously known as the Cubs dog or the Dodger dog, and right. Fenway Franks, which are another type of hot dog. None of those are kosher. So the kosher hot dog is separate from your. Iconic va- baseball hot but dogs. I assume the Vienna beef is 100% beef, isn't it? I think it is. So I guess it's just not. I just not beef, certified. I mean, yeah. some hot dogs have pork in them. I, That's or right. Chicken or whatever. That's a concern. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think those would be that, those are the top Jewish foods that would be good uh, good stadium foods. Like I feel like latkes might be a little more onerous. Uh, yep. You know, kishka. Kishka, maybe not. Maybe I mean, kishka is sort of essentially a sausage. Yeah, I guess I feel like a knish is good. It's in the hot dog Kn- yeah. vein of just like something you can eat standing up. That's right quick food yeah yeah that's true any sort of dumpling i'm sure you can get like a pierogi a kosher pierogi type thing in some places but again more fork and knife nah, that's true like i hate having to put something on my knees and eat it with a fork and knife at a baseball game i want to just hold it in my hand which right. pizza is good for i take pizza, back uh, i take back anything negative i said about pizza pizza you, you are my you are my <laughs> true uh my true love so yes that's and i'm sure pizza pizza always loves you back 
Let's hope so. Yes. So with that, uh, that's another banging week from the Menchwarmers. Thanks for joining us. And again, we really hope you can join us on Sunday, May 26th at Christy Pitts. Uh, hope this episode is out by then. That's right. For our live appearance, uh, Menchwarmers wants to thank again the CJN Podcast Network, uh, as well as the guy who produces our show most of the time, Alex Rose. Well, he's still going to produce this one. He's just not here in the room today. That's right. As well as our supervising producer, Michael Freeman, who once again are the hosts of the Canadian Jewish Schmoo. Our sister podcast, our sisterhood podcast, and sort of the shul sisterhood type thing. Sure, our Hadassah uh, group. Our had- member that's podcast. right. Uh, perhaps all four of us will go to a mikvah one day. We're going to work to get the CJN Podcast Network to a minion. We're not quite there yet, but we're working on it. Perhaps sure. come with your pitches on Friday or on Sunday, and uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, sounds good. Always looking for more members here on the CJN website on the CJN Podcast Network. Uh, All the articles we mentioned earlier can be found on the CJN website. As always, please like and subscribe to our podcast. Please uh, follow us on Twitter at Menschwarmers. And feel free to reach out. We're always happy to have have your feedback. That's right. Uh, Have a great day. Thanks.